Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with my co-host, Chandler Benoy. Hey, hey. And uh, we have a, a, a special guest with us today. Um, during my time in uh, Washington, D.C., I got to know several people that uh, work for this organization, IJM, and Philip Langford is the president of IJM, and he's on with us today. And, you know, um, I would say when we're looking at our churches, we would I would say, you know, you really if you really want to understand the health of your church, it's really based upon the average attendee. That is is, you know, how I would measure my church. I, I would think about my average attendee. And when I uh, interact with the average person from IJM, I have a very, very high view of that organization. So I'm very happy to have Philip Langford on today. Um, he came up through the ranks there at the organization, now leads the organization. And uh, we're just we're just happy to have you on today, Philip. Hey, Todd. Chandler, thanks so much. Um, it really is. It's fun to be with you. I um, I hope I don't lower the average for you. Here today. <laughs> so, but yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for the conversation. It's it's great to be here. Good deal. Well, tell us a little bit more about uh, IJM. We've we've had guests on um, from your organization before, but talk to us a little bit more about. Um, IJM and, and who you guys are, what you do. The mission is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, we're, we're all about protecting the poor from violence. And we look out in the world, especially in the poorest parts of the world. And there are over 2 billion uh, of our poorest neighbors living outside the protection of law. Of course, they experience all the, the horrors of being poor, but also just uh, daily subjected to, to violence, sexual assault, rape, uh, forced labor, human trafficking, domestic violence. Uh, within that category uh, of, of, of the world's population, we, we know that there are over 40 million people trapped in slavery right now, which is more than at any other time in, in human history. And so really what IJM is about is changing that equation. And we, we partner with uh, governments and other partners in the, in the developing world to change that game. Uh, to, to flip power right side up, to strengthen these governments from Thailand to Kenya to Guatemala, their ability to own and deliver the protection of, of, of their people. Um, we very much see, I think you would, you, you would say, um, our mission is really an extension of that great gospel mission that Jesus announced in Luke 4, to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captive free, sight to the blind. Uh, to proclaim, you know, to proclaim good news to the poor. That's what we want to be. We want to show up in the body with Jesus to deliver that, that kind of protection. Mm. Well, one way that we've partnered, you know, with Ministry Grid and IJM is that we are actually hosting your all's Freedom Sunday training to allow churches to, to step into this. So maybe, maybe you're listening and you're like, man, I, hearing those stats, that, that's a burden on my heart. And I mm. feel like our church needs to step into that. Freedom Sunday is one of those ways. And Philip, for, for many churches, they may not know about Freedom Sunday and what that what that looks like. Can you kind of share a little bit of 
about how they can take a step into uh, joining this mission with you all through Freedom Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's certainly not everything, but I, th- I think if you sort of think about what 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 are we trying to accomplish in our churches? Um, what kind of disciples are we trying to um, to catalyze, to inspire, to lead, uh, to sort of thrust in, into the world? You know, it's very much about. Uh, equipping people, inviting people into this journey of following Jesus into uh, into the places he already is and the places he wants us to be as he as he moves forward in the world to recover all that is lost, to wipe every tear from every eye, to bring people really into the to the life of thriving that he invented and, and imagined for them and. And in very much, I think the heart of Jesus is this is in this work of justice, this work of love for our neighbor in the world. And we, in a sense, invented Freedom Sunday as as sort of a a moment and a set of tools to uh, allow church leaders and their congregations to to be to dig in at whatever point they are into that journey of following Jesus and into that into that work. It, Freedom Sunday really is is uh, very modestly simply dedicating a a Sunday uh, on the calendar in the year to exploring together God's uh, immense heart for the poor, His immense heart for justice in the world, and the ways that He wants us with them uh, to raise our vision to the things to the way the kingdom of God is on the, on the move in the world. Well, if you hear Philip talking about that and you're, you're thinking, Hey, maybe, maybe our church wants to explore what that could look like and just see what these resources are. You can go to IJM.org slash freedom Sunday, and you can check it out for free and just sign up to, to learn what that might look like in your church. And you'll get access to that through ministry grid. So you're going to want to check that out. Well, now Philip, let's, let's hop into the five questions here. And I'm excited to, uh, to, to hear about this one. Who are you currently learning from at this moment? <laughs> I think the better question is, is uh, who am I not learning from these days? Uh, um, but you get to ask the question. So, uh, you know, I mean, I am in this season as a leader where, uh, you know, I think I'm more comfortable in my own skin than I've ever been. And so I'm having more fun as a leader um, than I, than I ever have, you know, IJM is embarking on this, uh, you know, just in these days embarking on this, what we call 2030 vision, uh, where we, we actually picture getting to this place where we're a half billion of the world's poorest and, and most vulnerable to violence are actually safe and protected and able to grow up into the life, the lives that God imagined for them. And, uh, I've got some expertise that I've developed over my, my nearly 15 years with IJM, but there's no way in the world that I can be an expert in all the things that we need, all the capabilities that we need to, to accomplish that vision. And uh, so what has been really fun for me in this season is uh, hiring, recruiting new voices, new capabilities into, into the organization, finding new partners who actually bring things that, that, that I could never bring and learning, learning, learning from them. So that's just been real big joy. I think in the midst of this, as we've sort of are launching this vision in, in the COVID era, um, where we're seeing actually violence against the poor surge, vulnerability against the poor surge, 
governments even more hamstrung in their ability to deliver protection. Traffickers just declaring it open season on poor and vulnerable people in these days. There's a great deal of lament in that. As we as we aim for this sort of city on a hill where we're where we're going, the big dream, the kick in the teeth that that is for the people we serve, the kick in the teeth that that is that is for for our people. And and also, I would say we're in the midst of this this deep reckoning within our own country of our legacy of slavery and systemic racism and the, the horrors that are sort of uh, bringing all of that to, to light. And so there are some really important leaders who've been on the, the leading edge of that fight that I'm, that I'm listening to a wide array of them from Brian Stevenson of Equal Justice Initiative, uh, you know, Latasha Morrison of Be the Bridge, uh, just to name a few. But I, I, one thing I think in this season that I've sort of locked in on is, I don't know if you guys know Joe Saxton. She's an author, um, She's a leader of leaders. She does a lot of work, uh, particularly on women's leadership. And um, we had her in at IJM to speak to our team recently. And the question presented to her in the context of great lament and sorrow and setback um, was the question, does hope, does hope still win? And she articulated a vision of hope that I think is just worthy of humanity and worthy of this gospel mission that we're in with Jesus in a world of, of great brokenness and despair. And she said this, she said, yes, hope still wins, but it often has a tear stained face. It has a vulnerable heart. It has bloodied fists because it keeps on fighting. It has scraped knees because it keeps crawling forward. It's sweaty Hope is not necessarily pretty, but you always want hope. Hope on your side because hope will fight for you. Hope will fight for the hardest parts of our lives. And, you know, that is a hope. That's the kind of hope we as leaders have to draw people to. It can't be a airy, fuzzy rainbows and unicorns, but a, but a hope that actually recognizes and sees the pain of our neighbor, is able to lament, but also move forward in in confidence about how the big story wins. And I've just, I've got that pinned on my laptop actually, and just sit in that. Um, and this is what we're trying to really orient our, our teams around in these days. Yeah. So speaking to that a little bit more, cause I know that you all, I mean, I'm just putting myself in your shoes and your organization's shoes. A lot of the stories that you're hearing and the people that you're working with are just they're heavy stories and it's hard to probably wrestle with that. And it's hard to take that home and know what you're, but you're fighting for such a great cause. How, how do you kind of manage that, the burden and, and, and finding hope in it as well? Mm. Well, we're, we're always, we're just trying. Um, and we, we build these rhythms and practices into our, to our organizational practices uh, together, our community, um, and, and in our, in our individual practices that allow us actually to stay close to the father, as we say, um, mm. to stay, to really stay close to, to him. Uh, you know, one of the most important things for me every, every day, um, in the quiet of the morning, I'm an early riser. Everybody else around the Langford house is not. And just that, um, just that stillness in the morning, not a lot of like, just, not a lot of active prayer, but like just sitting with God and some deep listening 
to understand what's going on, the anxieties, the fears, uh, to really examine that. Because we lead out of who we are on the inside. That tape, whatever that tape is that's running, whatever it is. Uh, and that's going to be the thing that, that sort of leaks out on our team and whatnot. And so I just, I, you know, part of what we all do as a team every day is, is spend that, those moments of stillness. Uh, we pay our staff to do that. I get paid to do that. Um, to really orient myself around the things that are actually true about God, that are true about me, that are true about the people that we serve and the, and true about the things, um, uh, that he's going to do. And, um, and we have to recognize that in as much as this really is the work that he's entrusted to us, that the outcome of it, the impact of it that we long for, and oh my goodness, how we long for it. I mean, the prayers of lament, how long, how long, oh God, do you not see <laughs> arise, you know, break the arm of the oppressor as the psalmist prayed. Um, but to, to, to sit with God in that so that, so that, he can put the world right on its axis for us, if you will, uh, and to recognize that it is his weight to carry. We don't have to carry the whole thing. You know, we motivated by love show up with our loaves and fishes, but also recognizing his great delight in accomplishing it. And that's just what we've experienced and remember all the time, the ways that we had no idea the way through. But we showed up with the little loaves and fresh fishes that we had and watched his delight and just exploding it in power and in transformation beyond what we could could picture. Well, <clears throat> you had mentioned uh, working on your 2030, you know, vision and outlining that. And there's there's so many people that for so many years have been looking forward to their 2020 <laughs> vision. Uh, and I don't think any of us would have imagined that 2020 would be like this. Um, no. So uh, I just want to know how you've talked a little bit about this, but mm. how has COVID impacted the work of IJM and what have you learned about leading through crisis specifically? Yeah, good. Um well, you know, a, a pandemic like this, a crisis like this, of this scale, always affects the poor uh, most profoundly. So, I mean, in a nutshell, we're seeing violence and vulnerability, uh, predation um, increase everywhere we work around the world. And this is what our partners in the field say, too. At the same time, governments that are trying to respond to the pandemic um, with very limited budgets, law enforcement, social services, survivor care budgets, their, their resources are even thinner as they, it's kind of an all hands on deck to contain the virus. And so, you know, those, those people who actually own the duty and responsibility to protect the poor from this predation, you know, the partners that we're trying to equip to be able to do it have even less, um, to, to give, uh, and they're afraid too. And so, um, you know, that's a real challenge. At the same time, what has been really profound about these days is there's a way in which this pandemic has actually brought to light the more hidden pandemic of violence that affects the poor every day. We're actually seeing more conversation about the violence that plagues the poor uh, than we've we've ever seen. And, um, and also, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And we have just, 
it would take too long to sort of unpack, but we are actually seeing amazing in, uh, innovations, particularly the use of technology uh, to speed up prosecutions of traffickers. Um, we have seen uh, our partners that are embedded uh, in, in these places of, of uh, where the poorest are most affected uh, really be able to, to find their voice with government and, and be great partners with them. I mean, truly, we've seen in India where I got my, my start, we've seen more people rescued from bonded labor slavery in the first six months than we did all year. Uh, I think so far it's 5,014 God-breathed souls rescued from slavery in just the first six months, and most of those in in the midst of the pandemic. And, and you know, it, this is like God. This is just like God um, to, to take a moment where it's like, oh, my gosh, it seems all is lost. And yet we are actually seeing, in many ways, greater transformation, more accelerated transformation in the places where we work than, we, than we've seen in, in many years. So quite excited to see that. I didn't answer your question about the, the, how we're leading in it. Um, but that's, that's what we're, um, that's what we're seeing so far in terms of our, our work. Well, how, so you talked about kind of what this, this pandemic has done on mm. for your all's work on a global scale. Um, what was your all's team like before COVID and the team that you were leading and what has changed in your all's kind of your, your leadership practices for your team? Are you guys working more remote? Were you remote before? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're about, you know, about 1100 people around the world. Most of those are nationals of, of their own countries, uh, Asia, uh, Africa, Latin America, Eastern Europe. Um, and so we're very, we're very used in many ways to sort of operating in that kind of remote context in that very matrixed way, uh, as it is, but, but, but overwhelmingly our operations are very much in person, in person, um, investigations, in person training with, with governments, um, sur- you know, in person counseling, survivor care with, with victims. And so we have been all of us around the world have gone into a, a overwhelmingly work from home virtual approach. Um, but this is also where we have been able to, um, we've been able to learn new methods for actually delivering services that are actually more efficient, more cost effective. And we've been able to lead many of our government and, and other partners uh, to begin to take on uh, some of these more virtual means that are actually making things more efficient um, and moving things forward. You know, in the Philippines, for example, in spite of like one of the strictest uh, lockdowns that we've seen in the places where we work, just in the last month, we've had three convictions of prosecutors because the courts um, have adopted uh, virtual means for issu- issuing warrants for arrest and actually hearing testimony and moving cases to judgment. So there's a lot of challenge, but a lot of opportunity. I think from a leadership point of view, um, you know, the the name of the game, I think, for a leader in this in many ways is as recognizing the disorientation that, that this is, and then leading, leading the team to a re- reorientation. Um, and it has been disorienting. Um, and so what we've really tried to do is, um, uh, from top to bottom, put the flag in the ground around, you know, the, the vision of where we're going, it's the same. 
Our mission with Jesus is fundamentally the same. And this is not the time to hunker down, um, but actually to move out in generosity, to be magnanimous, to, to find ways to help. And so we, we've really emphasized in these days, we're going to take care of our people. Uh, we're going to take care of the people that we serve. We're going to get them through this and we're going to take care of our partners. And so that's looked like a lot of different things from showing up with foodstuffs to uh, personal protective gear uh, to loaning out our vehicles, whatever it takes to see people through. Because what we want, especially with our government and other partners who are trying to build up their capacity, we want them to know. We want them to experience in the body, hands and feet, that our mission is for your mission to succeed. Um, and that has been very important, very, very important for our, our folks. And I'd say I, I haven't experienced us be, uh, <laughs> we've always been an energized, very like rabid, relentless mission focused bunch of people, but none of that has changed. If, if anything, that quotient has, has gone up and that has been, that's been a ton of fun. You know, the, the other thing that is interesting in this, these are unique times, just to highlight, I think it is also important to say, in, in as much as these are unique times, um, it, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, and just to, to sort of normalize this, to normalize change, to normalize adaptation. Uh, and again, I do think that's, that's where our spiritual practices as a community come back together, the we, we have sort of twice daily pauses just to reorient us to like, okay, <laughs> who's God? Who are we? Who owns the mission? You know? Yep. And uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, that's so needed, especially in this time, because you can look around and see the circumstances around you and be like, man, what is going on? And then you oh, man. slow down and it's like, wait, God is in control. He knows what's happening. <laughs> so it's very, very helpful. Well, speaking of, you know, you, you kind of mentioned spending time with the Lord in the morning, taking pauses throughout the day. What are two to two or three things that you absolutely must do daily and what benefit do they have for your life and your leadership? You know, we're, we're whole people. And, um, so it's, you know, for me, I, I sort of keep, keep my eye on mind, body, soul, um, you know, the stillness piece for me in the morning is indispensable, just quiet listening. Um, I may read the scriptures, um, may not, but even when I read the scriptures, I generally actually listen to them and just let them wash over me. I, I more, more than being sort of an, an academic student of God, I just want to experience him. And I want to sit, you know, kind of like... When you're in an intimate relationship, you sort of know the, the the intimacy of the relationship in some ways by whether you can just sit quietly together comfortably. And I just love actually that time in the morning. Um, it's increasingly interrupted by my Great Dane puppy. Um, but just to sit uh, and listen um, and uh, and get things straight. I think the other thing is, is I, I like to, to run for exercise and I have to get I have to get outside and work it out. Um, these days I, I alluded to my, my puppy, um, the dog doesn't like to jog with me in the morning and that's about the only time I can, but just, I just do make sure, especially with all the zoom calls that I can get outside and take in the sun and take, take in some, some beauty. Um, 
you know, whether it's, you know, walks with my daughter or walks with the puppy, but, but I, I, the, the need, the need to find ways in the day to take in beauty and to slow down, to, to contemplate rather than just flying to the, to the next thing has been super important, especially in these, in these days as we've pivoted to the virtual. Yeah. I think the contemplation and slowing down because I mean, even today, like I'm on zoom calls back to back to back to back. Mm. And it's almost harder because you don't have that time in between meetings to walk somewhere. You're just, you know, you click out of a browser and go to the next Yeah, and you miss out on just being able to even take a walk down the hallway. So I, I'm just even hearing you say that I'm like, man, absolutely. We need to get outside. We need to just be active and take a walk when we need to. So it's so true. Yeah. You know, I mean, part of it, I think the, the sort of operating question for me kind of all day long, if, if I'm sort of pre, I, I want to be, I want to be right now present to God and present to you. Um, not <laughs> distracted by what's coming. And so I'm at how, how do I build in those practices that actually allow me to be present to this sacred moment? This is the moment we've got together. I don't have another moment. Like it's this one. And so, you know, one of the things that my executive assistant builds in for me are, are these breaks between the Zoom calls so that I can gather myself and begin to actually contemplate the person I'm about to be with. And how do I want to show up for her or him? Um, uh, you know, how do I need to show up? And, um, so that's, and that's increasingly hard in the Zoom era. But I think it transfers over even when we go back to whatever the, the normal will be. Um, it's yeah. how, do we, how do we be present right now? Yeah, so true. So in addition to uh, a great Dane, I know you have, you have five kids of, of varying ages. And so I, I always enjoy asking um, this question to everyone, especially you know, if they have teenagers. Um, but what would you tell your 20 year old self about leadership and preparing to lead? They're going to be so sad that you asked me that question. (laughs) Uh, I have a 23 year old and a 20 year old, and they're probably tired of hearing about it. Um, you know, I, I look back and I was this really outgoing, uh, teenager in young twenties. Um, in many ways, like on the outside, you know, up for anything, what's the, what's the next thing we're doing up for the next adventure, uh, love risk. Um, but at the same time, just terribly insecure and afraid (laughs) and, um, and so worried about looking stupid and, and, uh, being seen not to be enough and, you know, all sorts of things. And we could unpack that for hours. Maybe you guys can give me a therapy session afterwards. But, but I, um, I think the things that I would say to myself that I I would sit down to my, and talk to my 20 year old self about would be, Oh brother, know your name and who gave you the name, who named you. In other words, (laughs) you are the beloved son of the most high the heir of the king and all of his riches. And he loves you and he loves what you're trying to do. He doesn't love everything that you're doing, but he loves you and he loves what you're trying to do. Um, And let that be the source of strength and courage for you. Um, I'd say recognize the voice of shame 
which I think is the the enemy's favorite tool that that voice that said that actually is constantly hijacking even the best parts of our story. Kurt Thompson's great on this if you haven't read what he says, but it's that that voice that's constantly hijacking even the the best parts of your story to sort of emphasize once again that you're not enough. You're not what you thought you were to God or to whoever um, and really meant to isolate you so that you actually spend more time talking about God than to God uh, and to get you isolated from, from community so that you hide your authentic self from community. Um, and then the two other things I think that I would say just sort of that, that are come out of that foundation that's been so important for me and my leadership um, has been have the courage to sit and connect deeply with that place of longing and desire because longing and desire uniquely given by God is that, is that engine for vision and creativity and curiosity, um, imagination, um, that is so, so critical to, to actually walking with Jesus in the things that he's trying to, to, to fix and, um, and, and just the courage to show up and be seen. I think I spent, I feel like I spent so much of my early career just assuming that everybody that I admired and respected had everything figured out and what you realize at, at this age and late forties, no one has it figured out. Everybody's doing the best they can with what they've got. Uh, and really the, the great things of transformation have been fundamentally about people who did sit in that place of desire and had the courage to show up and be seen without having it figured out and to recognize that the figuring out actually happens as you, as you lock in on that thing that you're dreaming about, that you long for, that you, that you sink your teeth into, and then the commitment to begin to figure it out, to learn, to fail and keep going. Um, man, I wish I had learned that a lot sooner. <laughs> I'm sure so many of us uh, wish that as well. But I, the piece that stuck out to me is when you said uh, we can, it was something about you can talk about God more than actually spending time with God mm -hmm. and being around him. That's, that was super convicting to hear. Um, so yeah, that's not true of us. It, um, for sure. Well, I do think we, I, th I think the way a lot of sort of church activity is, orchestrated, at least in my life, the way I ordered things was a lot of theological navel gazing, but, you know, not a lot of showing up in the crisis, um, and taking, you know, and, uh, anyway, that's a, <laughs> we, yeah. we just a lot of, there's a lot of wonderful church activity, but it's, but is it, is it calculated to lead us into a real walk with Jesus into the places where he is, where those things get tested and punched in the face. Um, and that's, um, I think that's why it is so important to be connected to that place of longing and desire so that we can move from that sort of navel gazing into, I don't know what we're going to do here. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm going to, I'm going to walk with Jesus into this thing. Yeah. Well, speaking of the church, let's let's move to our last question here. And how how can the church be a leader in the fight against slavery? So we we know what IJM is doing, and, and you know some people might be like, well, that's that's their job or that's somebody else's job, mm -hmm. that's their burden. How can the church be a leader in the fight against slavery? I th I think it starts with you know recognizing. Um, that the, that the work of justice in the world is 
is fundamental to the gospel mission. It's fundamental to the DNA of, of, of God's people. Um, and so I think really our great heart and imagination for the church is, you know, the, the impact of churches around the world, inviting and discipling and aligning God's people into what it looks like to follow Jesus into the hard and broken and despairing places, those places where, where it's lost, where things are three days dead. Um, and to know that that's where Jesus is. Those are, Jesus says to feed the hungry is to feed him, to rescue the slave is to, is to rescue him. Um, you know, I think as we look at, as I look at the scriptures, so at a macro level, you know, I'm struck by, you know, there are really kind of two things that seem to break God's heart most about his people or for his people. And it was on the one hand, it was idolatry or putting hope in gods and things that he knew would just devour them from the inside out. And then the other thing, the other thing that he cries out so much to about his, to his people is the way that God's own people either abused their power or sat back and watched others do the same to take, to steal, to rob. Uh, and, and, and so it makes sense that, you know, you know, God's short list for us is these two greatest commands of love me and love your neighbor. Um, I do, as I said, I think churches offer an amazing menu of thing, ways to engage but the work of justice, the work of ending slavery in the world, shouldn't probably shouldn't be a peer program with the book club or the gardening club or the men's or women's ministry. We it needs to be integrated into all of those things because that's what Jesus's people do. Um, and and I think to also see that discipleship um, as is a in in, in light of the. This reality that Jesus loves us so much that he wants us to be with him and that that's actually where he meets and transforms us in the, from the inside out as we, in a sense, charge the darkness with him. So uh, the more to say, I, I do think it is our IJM's great heartbeat to serve and equip the church. We've talked about Freedom Sunday earlier. One thing I would say is another starting point is our, our founder and CEO has written a book called Just Courage, which is all about actually walking with Jesus, charging the darkness with Jesus into the places of hurt and pain. Um, if folks would like a free e-copy of that, they can go to www.ijm slash just courage. Um, and that's just a great entry point for this exploration about what does it look like for somebody like you or me to begin to take steps and in, in the direction of, of being in the fight. Well, I appreciate you all putting out those resources for churches. And if, if you're listening and you're, and you're, you hear what Philip's saying and you say, Hey, we want to take a step into that. Check out those two resources. So freedom Sunday, than Just Courage. We'll have those links in the show notes so you don't always have to remember them. You can just click the link there. Philip, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, it's been awesome just to kind of hear your leadership story and a little bit about how you guys are navigating COVID-19. And if this has been helpful to you listening, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.